Good afternoon, everybody. It is 12 o'clock on Wednesday, and you are listening to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe, your professional development in your earbuds right here on Fireside Chat. Uh, Today, we are here with the incomparable Nancy Hunter-Denny, the Queen of Zing, and we are going to be talking about your professional development plans for the 2020. 2023 academic year. But before we get started, as we do each and every week here on Fireside, is we give you some of the top issues of the week uh, in higher education. So from the Chronicle of Higher Education, we have the latest information on faculty pay survey. There was a faculty pay survey. The average full-time faculty salaries decreased by 5% in the 2021-2022 academic year. When adjusted for inflation, the largest single-year drop in the 50 years that the American Association of University Professors has tracked academic wages. The AUP's latest faculty compensation survey, which was released on Wednesday as part of its annual report on the state of the profession, says that full-time faculty salaries in 2021-22 were 2% higher, essentially flat, than in 2020-2021. Than in but the actuality uh, was that there was a big pay cut in real terms. Uh, so uh, obviously we want to keep an eye on that. We want to make sure that we are uh, being mindful of the fact that we have great faculty and great staff who are probably not making much money uh, right now due, the, uh, due to what we're seeing in terms of the economy. Uh, we also want to talk about what was in Higher Education Dive right here. Uh, the, uh, in Washington, the Attorney General has sued a tech company uh, to a sales boot camp alleging it misled students. Um, Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson filed a lawsuit this month against pre-hired, accusing the online tech sales boot camp of misleading students about its programs of advertising sham job guarantees. Uh, We have good attorney generals out there paying attention to bad institutions and bad actors. And then the latest from the AUP also, uh, we had a conversation about this on June 1st uh, about the University of North Carolina system. Again, in higher education dive, the AUP condemns UNC system for political interference, systemic racism. Uh, The top faculty organization in the United States on Thursday condemned the United the University of North Carolina system, accusing it of flouting academic freedom and perpetuating institutional racism among its 16 campuses. The months-long investigation uh, hit hard at the Governing Council um, uh, and the Board of Trustees for the UNC system. I would recommend everyone go back and listen to our show from June 1st, um, and I am going to put the link to that in our fortune cookie. So right now we are moving to our show and I am very pleased to have our guest, Nancy Hunter-Denny. Nancy is an old friend. She's a fantastic colleague. Uh, go to her website, Nancy Hunter-Denny, spelled D-E-N-N-E-Y.com. Get all of her information, but she is a guru of leadership, uh, not only for students, but also of faculty, staff, and those who support students. Her speaking career began in 1993 with the goal of encouraging in others a personal sense of responsibility and obligation for serving a greater societal social good by sharing strategies for enhanced engagement in one's workplace, areas of study, organizations, communities, and relationships. She has done 
thousands of presentations. She's been on television. She has been on radio. And now she is here on Fireside. Welcome, Nancy Hunter-Denny. Thank you, Laura. (laughs) So, Nancy, talk to me about... Uh, And I don't know why, for some reason, I'm getting a little feedback on you. So I am going to make sure that uh, when I am talking, I'm going to ask you to mute your phone. uh, So that way we don't get the feedback, okay? Okay. Okay, excellent. All right. So um, I want to ask you this, first and foremost, what brought you to this work? It is not typical work. Um, It is work that some people would think is more of a consultant or a person to come on the inside. I know you used to work on college campuses. What got you out of working on the physical campuses? And now you literally work on campus to campus and campus to campus, spreading your leadership uh, acumen and your passion. So take yourself off mute and tell us a little bit more about what brought you to this. Thank you for having me. First of all, it's it's fun to be on with you. This is my first podcast, um, believe it or not. So it's an exciting new uh, avenue for me to communicate. Uh, I have always been someone who loved learning, who loved teaching, but also just loves to talk. And so when I, when I get the opportunity to speak and to teach and to learn through verbal communication, I take it. And uh, it's very exciting to have different audiences. It's very exciting to be in a venue of higher learning, and we call it higher learning for a reason. Uh, and so that's really kind of my story. Whenever I ask, what can I do that allows me to learn, teach, and talk, I come up with some answer. <laughs> well, that's great. So I want to um, make sure that as we are acclimating people to our app, so many of you are new to Fireside, this is an interactive space. When I ask Nancy questions, I'm not the only one who can answer, can ask the questions. You too can answer, ask the questions. And you can also help share this show by going to the hamburger in the lower left-hand corner of your, of your app. It's the circle with the lines. Click on that and you'll see an option to say broadcast to the world. If you broadcast to the world, you can now share that on any of your social media apps, including Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, etc. And it shows people that you are listening to this show and it brings more people to our show in the outside world other than Fireside. Um, you can also react to the show if Nancy or myself says something mildly humorous. You can go to the react button and you can laugh, you can clap, you can do all kinds of things. So I encourage you to do that as well. So Nancy, my next question for you is why is it important for you um, or anyone to seek opportunities to grow and be challenged? This is a time of year where we are thinking about what's coming up in the next academic year uh, for people to start to position themselves to make some plans. Tell us why you think it's important for people to actually seek these opportunities. That's a great question. Um, I really believe that through professional development, uh, if you stand still, the world is still turning and professional development allows you to catch up. It allows you to stay relevant. I also believe that while you're standing still or not doing any professional development, you begin to believe that you know more than you might actually know because things are going on and changing and developing and advancing all around you. 
but you're not necessarily aware of what those things are. I think through professional development, it's an opportunity to get unstuck. It's an opportunity not to be complacent. Uh, it's an opportunity to just grow, challenge yourself, have some fun, and most importantly, inspire new behaviors, new ways of thinking, and just keeping yourself alive and excited, which we all can do and need on a regular basis. So I'm going to ask you this question. What is professional development? How do you define that? My definition tends to be a little wordy because there's a lot I'm trying to get into it. So I'm going to give you the definition, Laura, and then I'm going to kind of break it down for you based on uh, some of the very significant and thought out words that I placed into my definition. So I define professional development as the process it's ongoing, the process of identifying and mastering the necessary understandings, knowledge, skills, and competencies, here's an important word, required mm. to perform according to the implied and stated standards associated with, and here's another important word, chosen profession. Ah, okay. So when, when I'm looking at this, okay, and I hear people say to me, I, I like what you're saying there about the chosen profession, okay, and these competencies. I hear a lot of people sometimes say, well, I want to build up my skills in an area that I want to aspire to, okay? Is that something that we should be encouraging or should we be kind of saying learn learn your job first, learn the essential competencies of the work you've been brought in to do versus try to build skills in an area that you don't even get to, to practice every day. Do you see what I'm saying here? Oh, I'd like your thoughts on that. It, absolutely. If you talk to supervisors, and I think you and I do a lot of that, the first thing they will tell you is that they want those who report to them to do their job, to, to do what they were hired to do first. And so I guess I would say, let's prioritize what is it you need? Uh, what is it that you've got access to? What do you have to get access to, to do the job you're hired to do first? And then what direction do you see yourself in five years and in 10 years? And we'll talk more about that as the show progresses. So I would have to answer that with say, do what you were hired to do, yep. give it a shot, you know, be responsible. Uh, it's requirements that come with that particular position that they needed filled. Mm -hmm. And so do those skills, uh, do those tasks that get the job done that you were hired to do first. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that when we look at this and I'd, I'd like you to, to really talk about, you know, we value people in student affairs. We value people in the university setting. One of the thing that's been weird about the last two years, especially is when I've been talking to clients, when I've been talking to colleagues, as they've been on their campuses, they like the workplace um, flexibility, the opportunity to be able to come and go and be able to be treated 
in a way that we know we need, right? I mean, whether it be we are caring for our children or a grandchild or a parent or whatever the case may be, and be able to have meetings. There used to be that old adage, this meeting could have been an email. Now it's this, this in-person meeting could have been a Zoom. But I think people are more in tune with this idea of, I want energy. There's some meetings that need to be meetings. There's some gatherings that need to be together. Um, and yes, this, this, this meeting could have been a Zoom is actually relevant, okay? My question here is, how do we show value to the profession through professional development? There are opportunities for us to say to our staff, we want you to have professional development and that means in person, but it also means um, sometimes opportunities that are very one on, very like you doing it yourself. That's part of professional development. It's not always something that's done for you. So I guess, you know, one of the things you feel passionately about is it's your responsibility to be, have a plan. You have to have your own plan. But how do I, as a supervisor, encourage that without saying to somebody, you got to come up with a plan and I'll sign off on it, but I'm not going to value you for it. You know what I mean? Like I want to, I want to find some there because some, for some supervisors aren't great at supporting the professional development. How does a supervisor become better at that? One of the foundations that has always guided my career is no one's going to do for you what you can do for yourself. It's, you know, you can create your own happiness. You can create your own destiny. Uh, you can overcome those obstacles. And so many of us have worked with students who, I mean, have been living out of their car and going to class. Right. And so I really think that many of us um, sometimes like to point the finger or put the onus on their institutions for their own professional development. Mm -hmm. And I am a firm believer that it is icing on the cake nowadays if a supervisor is going to say, now I want you to choose one conference that you're interested in and one that specifically has to do with your job, I'm going to pay all of your expenses. Mm -hmm. I think if you're lucky and if the tide starts to change, we'll see more of that as right. institutions start to return to supporting professional development. But by no means should you be counting on your institution to provide that opportunity for you. I really think, uh, you know, one size does not fit all. And I've got a whole list in the handouts that I provided for you of ways to advance yourself, to get to know how to do your job, how to learn skills and competencies for the next job, how to assess where you currently are and what you need to be working on. But I really think you have to have enough kind of self-love and self-esteem to say, what do I need to do to take care of myself professionally and to grow and to stay relevant and not put it on someone else? I want to drill in a little bit there. Um, one of the shows we had that was one of our most popular shows this, this uh, season was about the great resignation and why people leave, okay? 
And um, Nancy spoke about a handout earlier. I just dropped the link in the fortune cookie so people can click on that and get their uh, access because Nancy and I are a little old school sometimes. So we have to have a handout. Okay. So, and, and I will say this is a fabulous handout because it literally gives you what you want for the year ahead and helps you kind of think through all of this and process this. And if you're a supervisor, hand it out, give it to your staff, say, I want you to take responsibility for your own professional development, but I want to be there for you. Um, and one of the things that we heard from people, and then I know we have, we have a bunch of stuff we want to cover today, but I do want your thoughts on this because it's, it's that important. Like literally this morning, right before shooting onto this show with you, I had a conversation with a person who I have known for a very long time who ended up leaving a job and is considering leaving the field because of this last experience. And some of that is directly related to the supervisor and a poor lack and a, an absolute lack of supervision and an absolute lack of direction and all of that. And when you have people in a supervisory role and you are extending to your team this expectation that professional development needs to be something you take ownership of, you need to take some, you have to be mindful of your plan, your limitations, your priorities but I want to have, I want to run adjacent to that. I want to be part of that in an enthusiastic way. I want to be able to figure out ways that I can support you, but I can't do it for you. Are there some things that you see? You have actually spoken to people who are these supervisors. You have had them in your audience. Are there people that you can actually speak to that can do better by that? I think one of the greatest things that costs the institution nothing and that a supervisor should be doing is this notion of flexibility of time, is, is not to penalize their staffs for taking time to do professional development. And that could be giving them you know, a couple hours off during the week at a certain time so that they can do a webinar so that they can just close their door, go somewhere on campus and read the Chronicle or a couple of days off, especially a Friday, if they're going to go attend a professional conference on their own dime. And when we look at professional conferences, a lot of times people say they can't go, not necessarily because they don't have the resources, but because they don't have the time. And I think supervisors can really ask that question, what can I do to ensure that I'm freeing up your schedule? I'd love to be supporting it financially. I can't. So how can I free up your schedule so you can? Supervisors also are going to pay a price one way or another. <laughs> I heard a little applause there. Uh, supervisors are going to pay a price one way or another, as is the institution, for not valuing Mm -hmm. support of professional development of their supervisees. Uh, because the last thing you want is to say your institution represents X, Y, and Z, and then you've got staff members who say A, B, and C, because they really just don't know. Uh, and that's on you. That's on the supervisor. Right. So uh, I think that there's an awful lot to be gained for the institution uh, especially when it comes to staying current, when it comes to knowing what uh, current policies are, what terminology is, uh, when it comes to social justice issues, mm -hmm. so that people can speak from a knowledge base in what higher learning. 
Yes. And, and I think that one of the things, and, and I think it's really important for, for professionals uh, who are supervisors to be able to say to their staff, let's talk about what, what can count as, or what can apply to professional development. Many people have access to classes at their own institution. So if you have tuition remission, and even if you already have an advanced degree or you have your master's degree and you're like, look, I've already got this, I don't necessarily need this. Can you take that tuition remission or can you audit a class in say finance or communications or in writing to say, if I wanna move up a little bit at some point, I'm gonna need some extra skills here. Um, and those kinds of things. And people don't necessarily think about that. They don't think about those opportunities. When I worked at, it was Babson College, and this was years ago, they were part of a consortium of institutions that actually paid for more professional development opportunities. Um, and if you didn't ask about it, you would never have known it was there. And so um, supervisors need to be highlighting that, but I love the fact that you brought up that thing about time and that a supervisor, when you talk to someone and say, I'm going to commit to giving you time, I'm gonna give you the opportunity for financial support, but here are the limitations I have. And I will say this from my own experience as a leader, as an executive leader, one of the things I did when I became a vice president is I looked at all of the training and development um, opportunities in terms of line items, what each of the departments came to me with, okay? And I said, what's your training budget? And they're like, what do you mean? I want, I want to see your budget and I want to see how much you had. And I had offices with a half a dozen employees. We were a small college, so the most people we had full-time in any one department, I think, was eight. And so I had offices, not including the athletic department, but I had offices with eight people who had less money in their development budget than, than offices with one person. And I'm like, okay, this is out of, this is out of whack. So I took all the money... <laughs> And I put it all into a centralized development fund and I set it up. So I said, everyone's under the same priority here. And this is how we're going to do it. And it actually increased the amount of participation in professional development where in the previous method, it, it was literally like, we have no money. We're never going to have anybody go to anything by us repooling the funds and training the supervisors, we came to find out we had a higher participation rate. And I would say to people, don't just look at your money and say, we don't have enough. Look at your money and say, how do you have it set up? Because the important thing you were talking about process earlier, the important thing with some of this around financial process is that you have a good process to pull from rather than have one office be completely overfunded while the rest are not. A thought there. Well, and one of the things back to the question about what supervisors can do, many institutions have various departments as well as some other local colleges that are within a one to two hour driving range. And one of the greatest benefits of professional development of going to conferences 
is the networking aspect and the sharing of ideas. At NASPA this past year, uh, a great session was just a room full of student affairs vice presidents talking about what their issues were. Mm -hmm. Now they all had to travel quite a long ways, get on a plane, yeah. be sure they were vaccinated and do a variety of other things to get there. But supervisors can just do a, a meet and greet. They can invite people onto campus and then invite their staffs mm -hmm. to go and create on campus opportunities that mimic some of the greatest values of professional development conferences, for instance, which is where a lot of the money goes yep. because there's so many online resources now that are, to be honest with you, heads above what they used to be, you know, two and three years ago. Yep. Uh, that it, that's one real positive outcome, I believe, is the virtual world of training has gotten very, very good and a lot of uh, my colleagues and professional speakers who are top notch all now have a virtual presence that they didn't have before. Right. So right. there's a lot you can get uh, online that is a heck of a lot less expensive than what it what it used to be. Well, and I want to key in on something you just said about that is that when you look at actual like session content, okay and you need to learn something. Like let's say it's about new regulations around Title IX, or you need to like actually do a deep dive in a knowledge base. I'm, I'm hearing from people, a lot of people, they'd prefer to do it online because they can actually do it at their desk. They can pull up the resources they need there. They can ask a question, say, hold on a second, I need to do this. And you also typically get a recording of it and you get all these things and you're like, I can use this in the in the future what you don't replicate in that and going back to my my point earlier about this meeting could have been a zoom is exactly what you just brought up that idea of community coming together talking to people who you have something in common with you can do that in a very like low cost low risk way and say i'm the vice president at a school I call up a colleague who's the vice president at the at a sister school across the state and say, let's meet halfway. Or how would you like to come here in the fall? We'll go there in the spring. Let's set up our dates now. We're going to have a half day where we're going to sit down. We're going to have lunch together. We're going to do pooled conversations. We're going to let people talk and we're going to let people learn from each other and we're going to build up a colleague group. That is a great idea. And that actually goes where a vice president or a dean of students can actually say, we're doing this for you. So you can build up not only a, a network and a colleague kind of environment, but you can nurture your network in an intentional way, one-on-one -on -one with people who you're now meeting. And now you can pull from each other, which is important. I love that idea, Nancy. I'm, I'm gonna tell everyone to do that. I love that idea. Um, well, if I can jump in here for a moment, uh, I was struck with the concept of what so many professionals have had to deal with these last few years from a professional development context, and that is the notion of isolation. Yeah. And the human element, the ability to be able to be in the same room with someone and share laughter, work on your skills of perceptiveness. Uh, learn that not everybody needs your opinion. 
because sometimes when you share it, you can see the affect on someone's face going, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Uh, and we've gotten a little uh, too comfortable with the distancing of some of the technical communication. And even if it's just meeting someone for coffee, when I was on a college campus, I always used to befriend faculty members and befriend people in the communications department and in the theater department. Number one, they're hysterical. And number two, they had no idea what I actually did. <laughs> and it was just so fun to meet with them. And I also worked with orientation. So when it was time to get faculty input and whatever, I just pick up the phone and I wasn't talking to a stranger. I was talking to someone who I'd spilled coffee on three days earlier. So there's a lot to be said for the network that you can create if you intentionally, which we're going to talk about shortly, if you intentionally seek people right around you to be communicating with. You know, my, uh, my grandfather was a high school, sorry, a junior high school principal for 30 years. And he used to start every day talking to the janitors and talking to the people who work in the cafeteria. And he always said that that was the most useful part of his day was because he got to talk to these folks and they actually gave him the, all the, all the skinny on what was happening around the place. And it wasn't just the students. He told them a lot about the faculty and staff too. And, and, you know, that isolation is something we're all going to have to kind of beat ourselves out of this kind of this isolation mode that we've been in. Um, and that, that feeling of in, intentionality of being intentional is more than simply making a plan for professional development. Intentionality is how do I feel about eating with people again? How do I feel about going out and having a cup of coffee with people on campus again? There's some people who um, are not quite ready to be there and we need to give grace and we need to, to uh, be blessed to receive grace, um, but we need to make sure that our team and the people we work around uh, and work with um, are ready to be part of our lives in ways where they feel comfortable. And I think if we are able to give grace and receive grace, we're always going to be in a better space uh, in terms of uh, having an effective community. Well, and also just when you are interacting with someone, especially virtually, taking the moment to say, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> you know, exactly. we've, kind of, we've, we've kind of lost that greeting uh, right. Along, right. along the way. But when you brought up intentionality, Laura, I had put together a model of professional yes. development yes. because I like to make stuff up. Yes. But uh, the intentionality uh, model is a triangle. And it speaks to the fact that you can't have a triangle stand and support itself just on one corner. It kind of needs another corner to put itself on. So it, it's got a foundation. So when I look at my triangle of professional development, and again, this is also in the handout, you see at the top of it, your potential impact. And then on each side, one side is intentionality, intentionality of your effort. In other words, you're asking yourself, what's the energy source? Where's my passion? What do I want to really commit and why? You know, getting at that answer of why. Um, 
if how will I benefit if I do my job better? How will I set up myself for a better career? What is it that matters to me? And that's all in that intentionality corner. The other corner deals with the practice of professionalism, where you are doing something at a level to meet standards that exist and are implied associated with the profession of higher learning and higher education. And this is where you kind of have to ask yourself, Laura, can anybody do your job? And some of you will go, oh, heck yes. But the answer is probably not. You know, there, there's a prescribed level of preparation. There's an understanding of uh, higher learning. There's an appreciation for differences. There are set skills. You and I were laughing about the fact of, you know, could I go and work in the bursar's office or in accounting? I think not. <laughs> The registrar's office, probably not. Um, however, give me a room full of students, have me do event planning, and I'm all over it. So the practice of professional de development really asks the question, how are you going to get it? You know, what is that you're going to do? And I did come up with five paths that we'll talk about shortly. And that also includes getting proficient at various competencies that have been identified with your particular job. And then if you can get those two, at the top is really a recognition, and this is the piece I really wanna kinda hit home with, of your potential impact, not only the daily impact, but the impact that's long range. You know, every time you're able to really connect with a student, help a colleague, develop a, a creative idea, make your systems more efficient. Every time you do that, you advance your institution in a very specific way. And we lose sight of the fact that you do make a difference. But we make a difference often by what we don't do. Mm. We make a difference by not striving to excel. Uh, we make a difference by uh, not taking the time to make sure we've crossed the T's and dotted the I's. And sometimes I'm hearing a lot of university presidents, frankly, and vice presidents say, I've never had so many problems brought to my attention without ways to solve them. Mm -hmm. And so instead of just being a problem identifier, I think part of your potential impact is to also come up with a few solutions do a little of research and present that as well. So that issue of potential impact, intentionality, and then that whole concept of practice goes into the triangle, which in the middle just represents professionalism, yeah. that you're getting compensated to do something at a certain level. I love this model because it really kind of takes you to this idea of like, we're always thinking about the top People always say, well, this is where I want to get. And you're like, well, you got to figure out how, what the journey is going to be made up of. And one of the things about this is that with this practice of professional development and then the intentionality of effort, which you have at the base of this triangle, the base of the triangle is going to propel somebody to that potential. And, and I think that it's super important for us to remember that you don't just get to the potential. You have to actually have to have a plan and you have to actually get there. And that's where this, your, your, um, kind of, you put a lot of thought into this and I'm really excited to share, uh, your thoughts on this and the handout, which again is, is scrolling right now in the, in the fortune cookie for people to click on. But I think that when we look at this idea of, um, 
the practice of the profession. There's going to be some things, especially for some of our newer professionals and some people who are maybe even um, mid-level professionals, that's where I see some disconnect, where new professionals, instead of asking the why do we do this and here's a suggestion, their limitation on experience ends up becoming um, maybe an, an, an anchor for them. And it and it keeps them from moving on, okay? And so I'm gonna use an example. What I say to my, my grad students all the time is when you go into a new space and you get that first job, I want you to not say these words unless asked. And that is, at my last institution or at my undergrad, this is how we did it. Don't say these things unless you are asked. If you are say, oh, you went to this school, how did you do it there? Tell me more about that. You have to break out of your institutional bias in terms of what you, what, where you came from. For mid-level professionals who are supervising these folks, I also need you to break out of that bias of they're going to come in and tell me how to do my job and I need them to, to learn how to do their job first. And it's like, that's not a bad thing to want people to learn how to do their job first, but you need to set parameters. You need to be able to say, I brought you here because you had these skills. I'm looking forward to helping you build these skills. I'm looking forward to help you build this competency, make you an important part of our team because you definitely had some things that my current team did not have. But I also want you to understand the why. And from a generational standpoint, lots of mid-level professionals are either older millennials or Gen Xers like myself, okay? I'm actually like a cusper with the boomers, but that's another story for another show, okay? But being a Gen Xer, we're, we're not in the capacity of why. We just do. We're not a why generation. The millennials and Gen Z are generations of why. And they wanna know why we do things. The difference between those two generations is gen, gen um, sorry, millennials will say, okay, I'm a rule follower, here's the, the why, I'm gonna do it, but I'm gonna break it as I go along. Gen Z is gonna say, all right, I understand the rules, I'm gonna run adjacent to the rules because they don't apply to me, and then when it's all over, you're gonna change the rules. But the Gen X people don't like that. And we have to be able to build that because, and I bring this up specifically as it relates to professional development and this practice piece, is this idea of how about identify and master some skills. If I'm a gen, if I'm a manager, I'm going to have a bias about how I mastered those skills. How I mastered those skills is not going to be the same as how generations that came after me master those skills. And if nothing we've learned over the last two years is that people work differently and they process information differently. And right now we need to be very mindful of that fact. And we can't just say, well, this is how I did it. This is the ropes that I climbed. This is the work I did to get to this point. That ain't going to fly anymore. What are your thoughts on that? Yes. <laughs> what she said. 
All right. Next question. How do we yeah. feel about coffee? No, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a I'm a baby boomer, so I'm not even going to tell you what I, what I think because no one cares. <laughs> No one cares anymore. Well, but before we run out of time, um, I I do want to talk about the process element a little bit more and the acknowledgement that, you know, everyone listening, you are who they get. Yeah. You are who your administrative assistant works with every day. You are who those students get. You are who the parents get. And nothing was as challenging to me as when I was actually a parent of college students. And uh, you have a whole different lens and it really is hard to just to keep your hand over your mouth uh, and not be correcting mm -hmm. and not be telling people the way they should be saying it, but just standing back and saying, thank God that's who my daughter gets or, oh God, this is who my son's getting. Uh, and it's very real. It's it's real. But I want to go over um, five paths for professional development that I try to take a different twist on these. Um, these are mentioned in that handout. So let me just go through them a little bit and challenge you to broaden your perception and your definition of professional development. Again, it's about identifying and mastering what it is you need to know to do your job, which is something you chose to do. You did say, I'll take it. And so we have to know that with that comes certain obligations, comes certain things you have to do, whether you like to do them or not. Right. So the five paths, the first one is start having the tough personal conversations. In other words, asking yourself questions like, what do I want to grow into? What's my timeline? Where do I see myself in five years? Um, what can I count on other people to do to get the job done? And what are they counting on me to do to get the job done? Um, where could I put some monies aside so that if I want to travel or purchase webinars, I have that money. And here's a very important one. How am I preparing myself financially for my professional future? You know, what am I saving? What are my investment strategies? Um, there's more to life than TIA CREF. And so what are you doing um, now to really set yourself up so that you have choices? So that if you get that really horrible supervisor lore, you can say, I'll stick it out for two months, but I can't take this. My mental health cannot take this. I need to move on. And so you need that financial cushion. And someone gave me that advice uh, way back. And th they called it two letters account. One of the letters is you. I won't tell you what the other letter is. You fill in the blank. <laughs> but it was their blank you account. Yeah. And it provided a lot of flexibility. So have those personal conversations, asking yourself some tough questions. Number two, take inventory of your, cum your current human associations. One of my favorite sayings is, if you want to know where you're going to be in five years, take inventory of who you're hanging around with now because you are more influenced than you think by your associations. So what individuals on campus can you target that you probably need to be spending a little bit more time on, time with? What professionals do you need to be spending a little less time with um, because their influence isn't necessarily a constructive one or a positive one or a productive 
One, um, would you consider doing things like getting a coach or a mentor? And many of us baby boomers are really into mentoring yep. and into kicking younger professionals in the sea of their pants, uh, <laughs> into providing perception of certain situations that they're in. So can you consider getting a coach or a mentor? Can you listen to uh, podcasts and at conferences? I love doing this. I make a list on my way to a conference of who it is I want to get together with at that conference. The third path is knowing of what you speak. And this means not making up crap. <laughs> it means being well-informed, being honest, and anticipating what it is you should know, doing your homework. And you get this through podcasts like this, through attending professional conferences, through online workshops, and reading the Chronicle of Higher Education on a regular, consistent basis. Reading Inside Higher Education or Higher Education Dive, but staying current and staying away from certain, I'll be honest with you, some of the Facebook groups out there in higher education, I think are detrimental to a positive outlook about the field. And we should really go forth with the optimism and the passion and the positivity mm -hmm. that I think our students deserve and are, are paying for. But there's the also a degree there, and I want to jump in real quick, and we'll come back to it, because I think it's important, is that we also don't want you to be Pollyanna. We want you to be able to be use the knowledge that you get from staying current, going to conferences, having a life knowing what's happening in your life and having good influences to be able to come back and be the best professional and say that, Hey, 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 we're on, we're not on the right track here. Okay. There's a difference between being critical and being constructive versus this trying to break things just to break things. So that's a, that's where we're at. And I don't think what you're saying is be la la land, like out there, like, like, no, you are saying you need to be a scholar of the practice so that you can make sure the practice remains something that you want to be affiliated with. You're right. I'm saying be constructive yep. and, and a contributor mm -hmm. because you are who they get. And that, again, links back to the concept of the intentionality of what you're doing. Uh, Path four is determine and assess your current proficiency. It's mm -hmm. kind of like, say, uh, doing a broader resume, you on you kind of resume. And a lot of times we think that we get our assessment of self by asking our supervisors on a regular basis, so how am I doing? Uh, I'm not sure supervisors appreciate that question as much as many people appreciate asking it. Uh, my husband supervises a, a hundreds of people, and he his response is, I'll tell you when you're not doing something right. But I, I appreciate the question, but want to throw out there, there's a lot of different ways of assessing how you're actually doing. And again, I'm a list person, so I want to share a couple of those that maybe you haven't thought of. So these are ways of kind of seeing if you're meeting or exceeding some of the standards that are implied or very direct associated with the job you're doing. 
These obviously would include direct feedback that you'd get from colleagues or from someone who did not have a good experience working with you. Your peer interactions, in other words, who wants to spend time with you outside of the office or have coffee with you? Mm -hmm. Uh, How long is that list? Uh, Or is it pretty short? And Laura, I'll always have coffee with you, okay? Uh, (laughs) The number and nature of higher level connections you possess, the influence or involvement in professional associations. I really am a big fan of getting involved in a professional association locally and then looking at the regional and the state and the national levels. The frequency of high visibility opportunities that you're afforded. If you're never asked to be, quote unquote, the show or to direct something or run something, there's probably a reason why. And so that's a question you have to ask. What is it that you're not doing? Is it your public speaking skills? Mm -hmm. Is it your inappropriate language? Is it your lack of true knowledge or doing your homework? Mm -hmm. So ask yourself, what am I being asked to do that is representing my department or the field or my, quote unquote, area of expertise. The consequences of your choices, are things going well, not going well? Are people attending your events? Are things running smoothly? The results of self-evaluation tools or workshops that you find online. The frequency and status of advancement. One of these things, and Laura, you might chime in on this, is sometimes you're advanced because they have no choice. And I don't mean that as an insult, but sometimes you're put in a position over your head because they rather have someone right now who has familiarity with the institution. Um, And that just shows you you shouldn't be fearful of that. That's a compliment. Mm -hmm. And that shows they see that you can grow into this position, that you'll at least do what it takes to get the job done. Uh, What do you think about that? So I think when it comes to this, and I think it's an interesting conversation because I've had more of those in the last year than I've ever had, because right now, because of the challenges we've had with hiring um, in many fields, not just in higher education, but in many fields, is that organizations are saying our pool is, is shallow. We have a shallow pool, and we want to bring in somebody who at least I can trust. I know this person. I know this person can either grow into the role, but what I've been coaching people with Nancy, and it depends on the institution, not all institutions, this will work. But if you are in an institution that's running really lean and you have jobs that can't get filled, what I say to them is, if you've got more than one position open, is there an opportunity here for consolidation and redistribution, not just for one person's job, but the other people around you, let's say it's a five person office and there's only, and there's two positions open right now and you haven't been able to fill these jobs. Can we make it a three person office with those two positions divvied up differently, evaluate where we're at And can we also boost people's salaries and titles so that we can do, we can actually get rid, we can jettison some things that are not priorities anymore because you can't tell me there isn't something in there that we're just doing because we've been doing it for 50 years. 
jettison stuff that doesn't work anymore, recalibrate, bring people up in terms of title and position and salary. I think there's room for that. If you don't have that kind of environment where you can kind of run on a lean and, but you've got bigger things or the political, um, kind of challenges are not going to allow for that kind of nimbleness. What you can do if you are placed in this, and I've had this happen in my career, and I know people who I have coached have had this happen in their career, is acknowledge it with the person who's asking you to do this. Say, Nancy, we're bringing you on. This is going to be a big step for you. And you don't just sit there with wide eyes and say, I'm so excited and I'm really ready for this. Say, okay, before we go into this, I know now why you're asking me to do this. These are the skills that I have. I don't necessarily need to be taught those skills. I already have those skills, but there's a gap here. There's a skill gap. And I need you to talk to me about, this is a perfect example of an opportunity on the campus of who you can align yourself with and gain trust with and a relationship with. So for instance, I had this happen with budgeting, okay? I had moved to a position that I had never had budgeting experience with before. And I said to this, to the person who pushed me, who, who pushed me, literally pushed me into this job. I'm like, okay, before I, I'm going to take this, but I need to be given a kind of a skills mentor. I've never done budgeting. I know how to balance a checkbook, which basically is what budgeting is, but I had it in my head that it was something a lot more complicated than it was. And I was introduced to someone in the budget office and the person in the budget office and I hit it off immediately. Someone I had never known after working at this institution for a long time. And I'm like, how come I never knew you? It's like, well, cause I never had to because I'm the budget person and I don't talk to people I don't need to talk to. Okay, great. And so by doing that, I actually was able to really kind of build out what has been my budgetary philosophy for a long time. And that that person actually made me better at the job that I had to build my skills in. And so it allows for that. And that is also professional development. Like I made it intentional that I would meet with the budget person. And I said, let's make a schedule. Let's do something in so that I'm accountable to you. It's like, a, it's like when someone hires a personal trainer. And they say, well, I know I'm going to my personal trainer this week, so I actually have to do my exercise or else if I go to my personal trainer, they'll know I didn't do my exercises. It's the same idea. That's my thoughts. Well said. <laughs> and then the fifth, the fifth path real quickly is to prioritize what areas of professional growth you should be focusing on. And sometimes um, for me, that's as simple as not sharing an opinion, but listening more. That when I ask someone a question to just be quiet and really contemplate about what they say instead of having a response. And for someone who likes to learn, teach and talk, that might not seem like professional development, but I am surrounded by people who know a lot more than I do on a regular basis or when I travel. And one of the best things I can do is ask a question and then listen to the answer. Right. So path five um, deals with prioritizing what areas of growth you need to make uh, 
certain improvements. And then putting the strategies out there. And I've listed what they are, but some of them include, um, you know, things that are going to broaden your experience and set you up for the nice thing, for the next thing, as well as enhancing your network, you know, uh, seeking counseling, advising a group, writing articles, uh, being a member of uh, a website, volunteering in communities of interest to you, uh, immersing yourself with what's going on in campus, and then uh, doing some audits of communication communications classes, which I think are vital, and taking that professional development checklist that I provide for you, which I think is um, can be helpful and changes the way you might look at professional development. One of the things that, uh, as our time wraps up, that I do want to share, Laura, just list form, and then we can uh, turn it back over to you here, is uh, a little wisdom that when I'm not talking all the time, that I've learned. And I've learned to also write it down so I don't forget it. So I just want to share some quick words of wisdom with you. Things I've learned along the way. Those who need to take advice often will resist it the most. Learn to, quote, read the room, unquote, and seek to respect intention. You don't always need to share your opinion. It's okay to just listen. Don't be your own worst enemy. Admitting you don't know everything makes you look a heck of a lot smarter. <laughs> Love yourself enough to become someone you haven't met yet. When you make a difference in someone else's life, your life will become forever different. And lastly, you are who they get. So commit to excellence. I love that. I love that. Thank you, Nancy. Um, and uh, I, all of that is in your handout and all of that great information is there. And Nancy, speaking of committing to excellence, there is a wonderful conference that you have put together called Commit to Excellence, Commit to the number two excellence. It's a national leadership conference and is happening in uh, a home city of Boston, Massachusetts, um, November 3rd through the 5th. It's a great time to be in Boston uh, in the fall. It is my favorite time to be in Boston in the fall. I am going to be at the conference. Uh, you have invited me to be part of the team there. So um, I am, I have, uh, a uh, reason for this to be successful because I want to see people besides you, Nancy. Um, but I know I want to see, yeah, I want to see you, but I could see you anytime. I want to see great people. I want to see people bring their communities to uh, Boston. Uh, for more information on that, they should go to nancyhunterdenny.com um, and uh, go to that, that website. And it has all the information there. Um, and Nancy, give people an idea of what to expect from the conference, what they should uh, kind of plan for, um, and why should they make this part of their priority for themselves and for their students? Well, when I started to ask myself, what's next uh, as a baby boomer, uh, I started saying and asking myself, what am I passionate about and where are we falling short? nationally. And I think it was in conference opportunities for undergraduates that included professional development for the students that or 
that have to come with professional staff members. So I looked at a lot of the leadership conferences that I had been involved with over the years and really just thought we could do better. We could raise the bar. So um, I went with a program design and had great input from Dr. Corey C. Miller on the leadership competencies. And this is a leadership conference that really speaks to leadership competency development based on the work of Dr. C. Miller and career preparedness. So the students really have a career benefit to it, mm -hmm. as well as learning skills from an in-house faculty who remain the two and a half days. You know, the Michael Miller, the Dr. Jermaine uh, Davis, Dr. Jason Merriweather, a whole list, uh, James Robolotta, Melissa Ruiz, of professional full-time speakers who bring a skill level for the entire time that no other conference does. So I am very proud of it. I think it really does raise the bar and that one weekend can literally change your life. Well, I'm excited to be part of it and I am really um, honored to be part of that faculty. So uh, I wanna make sure people know about that. And if you click on my link tree, which is uh, scrolling across the, uh, the screen right now, uh, you can actually see more information on how to get in touch with me, but also there is a link there on how to register for the Commit to Excellence program, so you have that information as well. Um, this is the last show of season one. Um, I couldn't think of a better person to have on. Uh, if you follow me here on Fireside, you will see all of our highlighted shows, uh, part of a series right here in Fireside, so you can, pe you can catch up on past episodes of Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. I am taking, uh, as we say in the academic world, a little bit of a sabbatical, and I will be back on in August. Uh, so follow me uh, here on Fireside. You'll get updates when new shows are scheduled in August. And I cannot wait to see you right here in Fireside uh, in August and into the year ahead. So now everybody get out there, take a break, but don't forget to learn something, okay? Have a great one, everybody. Bye-bye.